This is the Spark Podcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. How do a Broadway star and a VFX executive come together to create an animated short film? The story behind How Cops and Robbers, the new short project from Timothy Warehill and Arnon Manor, came to be is inspiring and speaks to the power of Warehill's writing, performance, and conviction. I recently had a chance to speak with Warehill and Manor about the inspiration for their new project, the challenges of working with over 30 artists to create a six-minute short film, and how answering an Instagram DM started the ball rolling on the project to begin with. Here is my conversation with Timothy Warehill and Arnon Manor. So thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we start talking about your new film, congratulations, by the way, uh, Cops and Robbers is fantastic. Um, But before we get there, I kind of wanted to turn back the clock a little bit because you're both such um, interesting individuals and the, the way that you came together for this project is so interesting and it, when 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 we see your backgrounds, it's not obvious why the two of you or how the two of you would come together to work. So before we get into that, I kind of wanted to turn back the clock a little bit. And Erna, if you could, if I could start with you, um, can you ta- tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to animation? I, I know that this is not your day job, so you know, enlighten us. What do you do? How did you go into that? Well, I, I, um, I've been working in visual effects and animation for you know, all my, my career. I'm a filmmaker, um, but specialized in, in animation and visual effects. Um, I came up from, from – uh, I went to art school uh, and actually studied uh, fine art and then graphic design and then, and then started doing stop-frame animation uh, on, on – 16 millimeter film, which was really uh, incredible because there is no room for error. <laughs> and uh, and then I'm showing my age here. And then somebody said, "Hey, there's this new you know thing you can do all you know." And you'd spend and you'd spend weeks on you know 20, 20 seconds of animation. Um, and then somebody said, "You know, there's these new computers. Computers can can now do it for you, CGI." And I remember doing my first test, which was like turning a a circle, you know, at one keyframe and doing a square, you know, 10 frames later. And then the computer was just in between it. I'm like, holy beep, this is amazing. I want to do this. Um, and, uh, and then I started, I went to study uh, computer automation and, uh, um, and started working uh, that way, yeah, as an, as an artist. Then I moved around, I started producing and then uh, for the last uh, nine years, uh, I've been a studio executive. On the VFX side of things, On right? the VFX side, correct. Yeah. And Timothy, I know you also have a very creative background, but you're also not um, really a filmmaker. You're, you're a theater and a performer. So tell us a little bit about this particular uh, project, because I know that it started long before this video kind of ever came into a life of its own. Ah, yes. Uh, So I grew up in, uh, I was born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, And there is kind of where my foundation was laid. I I, uh, 
went to Alabama State University for theater arts uh, and received my Bachelor of Arts there uh, under the tutelage of Dr. Tommy Tonia Stewart. And uh, then once I graduated, I went to UCLA for grad school for acting, uh, did a year there, dropped out because I was itching to get to work and started uh, my career as a performer on stage. Uh, So most of my career has been on stage and uh, recently uh, some television work as well. And then uh, I went back to grad school and completed this time uh, getting my MFA in professional screenwriting from National University. So, because uh, I've, I've been writing my entire life. Uh, most of my writings have been uh, writing stage musicals and poetry and short stories. And so I've always had a passion to write uh, and I've always had a creative drive to be a filmmaker. Uh, and so with, with that in mind, I would often take some of my poetry and record myself reciting it or um, do projects where I would uh, bring on board other Broadway actors to recite my poetry and, and uh, create short films uh, that way. And so Cops and Robbers uh, unfortunately came out of the tragic death of Ahmaud Aubrey, the, the video killing, the release that, that came out in May of this year. And uh, when I saw the video, it reminded me of a poem that I had already written with the same uh same title, Cops and Robbers. And I grabbed my iPhone, a gimbal, and I started to jog in my neighborhood and recite the poem just out of the sheer frustration of what had happened. But I wasn't surprised because we had seen this many times before. And uh, once I recorded this, this poem, I put it on Facebook and Instagram, my, my uh, two places I normally upload these videos. And uh, this one just grabbed a hold of many people in, in the nation and it went viral. And uh, that's when Arnon uh, saw the video on Instagram and reached out to me uh, to my DMs <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> so, Thank goodness for DMs. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's, I was I was hesitant at first because I'm like I don't know who, I don't know who this guy is but he's saying you know I have a great idea to uh, do an animated version of your poem and so I you know I you got to do your vetting process when when strangers enter your DMs uh, I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> but you know it it, it turned out uh, he turned out to be a legitimate person a, a good kind genuine person uh, thank goodness and we. Uh, discussed how we wanted to move forward. He, he gave me more insight of his idea of uh, gathering animators and VFX artists from all over uh, the world to take sections of my poem and give their uh, interpretation of, of, of the lines. So that's kind of how we got started with this project. 
I'm kind of curious before we get into the the project itself. You mentioned that you had written the poem uh, before. What prompted it when you originally wrote it? Um, well, when I originally wrote the poem, um, the poem is a part of a musical that uh, I've written called A Taste of Chocolate, which um, has been in development with a Broadway producer, uh, Jane Baron Sherman. Uh, but, you know, due to the shutdown of the world this year, uh, mm-hmm. there is no live theater uh, on the stage. Everything is virtual. So it is kind of put a halt on the, the process of continuing to uh, create that. But, uh, you know, A Taste of Chocolate is a musical that um, takes place in Montgomery, Alabama, following a preacher's kid. Uh, who, after an unarmed black man is killed by police, the community asks him to lead a peaceful protest, but he's afraid the entire movement could fall apart if they discover he's gay. So I've often written about race and and society uh, because of growing up in Montgomery, Alabama. I got firsthand stories from my parents about their participation in the civil rights movement, being children having to participate in the Montgomery bus boycott, having to drink from colored only water fountains and and colored only restrooms. And my grandmother tells me stories about being a housekeeper for white families. And, you know, so often people think this history is so far away, but it's not, it's it's still alive, it's still present. I get it first, these firsthand stories from my for my parents who are very much alive. And um, it it also comes from my personal experiences with police being pulled over with uh, for no reason, being profiled and, and at the end of being pulled over, having no ticket to show that I had done anything <laughs> or, or um, walking one of my one of the experiences that I, I have, I have quite a few experiences, but one that sticks with me most is when I was in grad school at UCLA. I was uh, in the MFA program, and many of us graduates we parked in uh, the Westwood community uh, across the street from the Playboy Mansion because that was the only place that were that was uh, there was free parking there. So, you know, we're, we're students, we can't afford to pay for parking. So we, all of us, black, white, and other, would park over there. And my best friend, uh, his name is Stephen Ryder. He and I were walking back from uh, a rehearsal at the school with some of our other classmates uh, who were mostly white walking back with us. And so there were, uh, besides uh, him and me, there were, I think five other white students that were walking ahead of us and he and uh, the two of us, we walked a few feet behind because we were just having our personal chit chat. We were best friends and a police officer in a car drove past the group of white kids and stopped at us and shined a light in our face and asked us, where are you going? And we had backpacks on our on our back, 
like, and the campus is right across the street. Where do you think we're going? Of course, we didn't say that because we, this officer was asserting his privilege and we were just, in his mind, two black boys. And all I could think is, wait, there are two of us here and there are five white people up there and we're the threat? (laughs) There are only two of us. Why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you ask them where they were heading? But you assumed that they belonged in that neighborhood, and we didn't. And that's the same assumption with Ahmaud Aubrey. They assumed that he didn't belong in the neighborhood. That was the same assumption when shooting cops and robbers myself when I was approached by a, a white man in my neighborhood while videotaping my original video, asking me, uh, I, he approached me and saying, you know, I just, I just want to make sure, I just make sure, uh, nothing's going on and that you're not recording my house. And I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm, my heart is racing because I, I don't know how this could turn. You could call the cops and then I could, while recording a video in honor of Ahmaud Aubrey and to bring light to that tragedy, I could be the next one. Yet I live around the block from you. <laughs> I live in the same neighborhood, but looking at me, you don't, you, you automatically assume that a person that looks like me doesn't belong. So it, it comes from very personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arnon, I'm, I'm curious. So you see this video on, on Instagram. Um, what, um, you know, we see so much in the media and on social media and it to see something and then to actually act on it is are two very different things. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit about what it was about that particular video that prompted you to, to start making calls and to think that this could be something more. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was in, uh, the beginning of May, uh, 2020. Um, so, there was there was just that you know we were in lockdown there was definitely kind of sensitivity um i i have to say first of all i i don't watch a lot of these videos you know that come out um once in a while you know i i click on something without knowing what it is thankfully now there's 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 these warnings that say you know graphic content or whatever but i tend not to because i don't I don't need to see acts of violence. I know it exists. Obviously, I, I read and watch the news and I, I'm informed. But there's there's also something um, I, I find um, I'm not a voyeur. You know, I don't need to watch somebody being killed uh, in a brutal way, um, certainly not to get my kicks. Um, so I, I tend to, to shy away from that. That doesn't say that I'm not sensitive to it. I just personally don't. I feel it's kind of almost offensive to the person that's being killed to to watch that act uh, happening. But I actually did watch the uh, Ahmad Arbery video, and I was really outraged uh, at it. I have to say, I'm 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 not a black man, uh, but I I'm Jewish, and growing up in England, uh, I had my own instances of uh, racism and anti-Semitism against me as a boy in school. Um, and while they weren't thankfully violent, they were verbal and very distressing. Um, and so I carry that with me. And obviously the sensitivity of being Jewish and, and having family in the Holocaust. So I'm very sensitive to issues of race. And when coming to this country and, and seeing, uh, you know, I've been here for, for 
20 years now, but seeing the, um, the really deep rooted, uh, uh, racism that exists, uh, has always disturbed me. And obviously I knew about it before I came to this country, but really experienced it, you know, and saw it firsthand living here. And then over the last four years, uh, of, of, you know, this administration has only been heightened and the worst is, uh, the worst of, of America has, has come out. I was, I was just shocked at this video. I, I call it the audacity of these people. If you can call them people to, you know, run after this guy, uh, and, and shoot him. Um, and then, and then even more so outraged at the system, the police and the judicial system who hit it for what I think he was killed in February. So it was something like three months and only because this video was released, it suddenly became, you know, a national issue. And, and I felt, like I said, outrage, I needed to do something, you know, I've always, I've always been very vocal, whether it's online and I donate to causes and, and I said, I, I need to do something more. And what do I know? What can I do in the way that I know how to do? And that is, I know how to create content. Uh, and I want to lend my voice to the cause and be an ally to the cause. And so I started, uh, I thought about, immediately I saw the idea. I mean, the performance that Timothy did and his lyrics and his words are so strong and so powerful. They really, they really move me in a way that, that, uh, um, yeah, they just moved me, uh, and and I and I like to call it the kind of the emotional ride that Timothy takes us with his with his you know with his words and performance, where you're going back in time. You know, I I, I want to go back to when, and then, you know, the reality of how harsh uh, it is to be uh, a black person in America, especially when it comes to uh, police brutality and and racial profiling and everything that goes on. Um, so I made a few calls to a few before I spoke to, to Timothy even. <laughs> so I called uh, a few places and I, you know, and I, I shared the video with them and I wanted to make sure that I can actually come up with the goods that I was intended to, uh, to sell to uh, Timothy. And, and thankfully, I think, again, the performance and the video, the Instagram uh, video was so strong that I immediately got a bunch of people saying yes, and I knew that we could build on that. So I contacted uh, Timothy through a DM, hoping that he would respond, and, and he did very promptly, so thank you. <laughs> and that was the beginning of it. Um, now, just to say, you know, interestingly enough, and we can obviously continue talking about that, but this was beginning of May uh, when we started the process, and then at the end of May, the George Floyd murder happened. So we were, um, um, you know, starting the process and then um, in animation production as the country and the world, but specifically the country, was outraged at the George Floyd uh, murder and then Breonna Taylor. So we were living it as we were doing the, the as we were in, in animation production. Uh, I'm curious about um, this the, the the thought that you had to not have just one person animate this, but so many people animate this. Um, what was the reasoning for that? Um, it was actually twofold. One is <clears throat> from a creative perspective, uh, and just from a voice perspective, I wanted I thought it'd be a lot more interesting 
if it's not just one interpretation of it, whether it's, you know, mine or Timothy's or an animation company or, uh, you know, an art, you know, a group of artists that are under one roof, uh, but a combination of, of artists and their, and their interpretations and also different uh, media that they would use. Uh, that was one on the other and the, the other part of it. So that's the creative side on the, on the producing side, I thought it's a lot easier to ask people because there was no money involved. I didn't intend to raise money for it or do a GoFundMe or, you know, we wanted to do it now immediately. So I knew that the only way to do it was really to do it for free. And it's a lot easier to ask people to do, you know, five to 10 seconds of animation than three and a half minutes of animation. So that was also, there was a practical side, but there was also a, a creative uh, element, which I think combined really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very effective for the for for the film, and it, it 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 certainly feels like it's more of a community effort that way as well, which speaks well to to the content too. Uh, I'm curious about the actual process. So you you start calling people around and and you start getting people on board to 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 animate. What does that look like on on like a day to day management um, sort of uh, side? Do you do you start assigning a short um, timelines, or did you, did you let the, the 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 creators select what portion they wanted to animate, and what did that look like as far as uh, on your end or on whoever it was that was responsible for actually making sure that this all came together? Um, shall I answer that, Timothy? Uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, you know, uh, because it, it's kind of a mix of all the things that you just asked. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we initially what 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 we did was we broke down the the um, the poem into sentences and had an Excel spreadsheet and a, kind of a Google Doc where all the sentences were laid out. And as we were bringing people on, because it wasn't an immediate, you know, we didn't have all the production ready to go, you know, like a normal animation production where we have the 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 you know the script we record it then we'll we'll and you know storyboard it and animatic and then go and do it we we had the script which was the original uh, video uh, from Timothy uh, but the people that came on animators and companies that came on and colleges including a, a, a Vancouver college um, they came on in different times through the process and did different segments. So, uh, so it's kind of like putting a, a puzzle uh, together. Um, initially, we had people choose their own segments. So we had the, the lyrics online in, in a Google Doc, and people would basically, oh, I, I love this section. Can I do this? A lot of times, you know, people and, and companies chose a lot more lines than we wanted to give each individual segment. So we kind of made sure it was down to one line, maybe two at, at best, depending on the, on the lyrics and the phrasing. Um, and, then, and then we worked with those people on whether that section was really best for them. And a lot of it was dependent on, on the ideas that came through and some of the ideas fitted a different section. But for the most part, especially in the beginning, animators and, and vendors chose their own segment because they were available later on as pieces were were taken uh we would um we we would uh tell people hey you know we'd love for you to take this particular section um so it was really kind of a a combination of of choice and and us directing them to certain segments 
Yeah, I, kind of, it, it, I always look at it like we had, there were three phases of animators that hopped on this project. Uh, the first phase being the ones that kind of had the, <laughs> had free reign to choose the, the lyrics that they wanted uh, because they were available. <laughs> and then, you know, then phase two group, group, another group of animators because we still have many slots still open that we uh, found more animators to fill and we kind of uh, allowed them to pick what was still left and we moved some things around from the group A because as Arnaud said, some sometimes their ideas or the line didn't suit them and, and what they had come up with and would work better on a different line so we rearranged and then then almost uh, phase three or group C uh, were is where we maybe had five or six lines that were still available and we knew we were missing certain um, visual things. And so that's where, when we brought on that group of animators, we would pitch our ideas of how we felt that the lines should have been uh, interpreted. I'm I'm curious because uh, in you you've mentioned in a previous uh, discussion that it wasn't just a matter of um, you know people sort of selecting what they wanted to 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 animate, but that there was a lot of discussion and education that was had as well in the process um, about the history and um, the I guess the social impact that this has. Can you talk a little bit about the process of um, this being more than just an animated project, not just thematically and the way that it all came together and timing, but in the production itself and how um, being open and and having those conversations maybe changed or um, improved the, the 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 production. Uh, yes, you know. So this, as Anand mentioned a little earlier, that. Uh, no monies were exchanged for this project. Um, everybody did it because they believed in the story, they believed in the cause, they believed in the message that we we are trying to convey. And so we have so many allies uh, who are animators who, who have taken part in uh, the development of this piece. And, and there's a difference between um, observation, which is, you know, what we receive from our allies for, for this particular story and versus experience, which we receive from our black animators who have personally experienced, uh, their own events dealing with race and profile, racial profiling and, and police violence. Um, and so Part of the process, especially for our allies who who could only animate from observation, it was important that I gave perspective and history about what it's like to be Black in America and have these experiences and, and also the historical context of how the past continues to be reflected in, in, in the presence. 
And um, that was through some personal stories. That was through some historical uh, stories that, that I shared. And even sometimes images uh, that, I, that I pulled from online to, to show um, some photos of things that happened uh, throughout uh, American history. Um, and this helped to make sure that the, the, uh, that Cops and Robbers was told from an authentic and, and a real place. Um, yeah, it... can I, ju- can I jump in for a second, uh, to me? I mean, I think for for me as well, you know, that was really it was in it was interesting and important, you know, um, that that what we call you know the education process uh, or, or the context, because again, it was important for us that this wasn't just uh, a a how do I say this kindly kind of Hollywood version of events, right? This was this was uh, one of the reasons why we brought in. A variety of artists from all different walks of life and different levels of experience, from students to to you know artists who do work on Hollywood movies, is we we wanted authenticity, and we wanted it to be um, emotional, and so a lot of our conversations were actually about uh, having the artists and the animators, and part of our you know a lot, large part of our direction was to keep it raw. You know, don't hold back. This isn't some sort of PC, you know, politically correct version of events. This is, we had no idea where we'd go at, at that point. You know, we didn't know that Netflix would would pick it up. Um, and we just said, we, you know, let's make it authentic. And part of that um, was the, 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 the context and the history. And so a lot of our discussions, especially initial discussions with, with uh, every single artist and, and ongoing at times and, and vendor was about the history and the context. And thankfully, uh, Timothy was very well versed and we all did, you know, our own uh, um, uh, research. But, you know, the discussions about why this is happening, why this is important, Timothy's personal experiences, as you heard, all those things were discussed even before, you know, pen was put to paper, you know, the virtual <laughs> pen to paper, um, those discussions were happening and they were really, they were very, very important uh, to bringing out the emotional aspect yeah. um, and the authenticity. Know, it, it makes me, we, um, it, and I would say all of our artists, you know, were, were humbled and willing to receive the information and willing to make change and corrections in, in their whips and, and their animatics based on uh, our advice. If something veered too far one direction or not far enough in the other, uh, we were able to push and guide them in into the right direction of telling the story. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, I, I won't say who, but we it we had uh, one artist that was a little resistant to the process uh, because he wanted to tell it, tell his segment exactly the way that he wanted to tell the segment, and 
eventually we had to say, well, you know, the, the, the purpose of you doing this, don't forget why you're doing this. You're doing this to be an ally, not to take over this story. This isn't your story. You are being an ally. So you're there to support the story, not to tell it the way that you wanted to tell it. And, but he couldn't get out of his own way. And we ultimately had to part ways with this animator because we, we wanted to keep the spirit of what we were trying to uh, create pure and, and, and positive. And so it, the, that's the beautiful part about this piece is that it is this quilt of people from all different backgrounds, people from the U all, all across America and North America, South America, and around the world internationally. And this unified voice that has come together to help tell this story and to continue to shine light on this issue. So it, it was a beautiful process. I'm curious if in both of your experiences uh, in the past working in, in, in your respective industries, if you find that um, the, the, the culture has shifted enough that we are now, people are now more open to these types of conversations than they were, say, maybe even three, five, ten years ago. Is there more of a... Um, uh, an open-mindedness and a, a willingness to, to have these conversations now in the industry? The short answer is I can speak for, you know, the, the, the visual effects community and, and the, the entertainment industry, the film industry uh, as a whole. I think the, the desire is there. Um, and there are steps, certainly steps being taken. You know, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to actually see that in, in play but certainly there is a big, you know, there's a big push uh, for uh, diversity. And, uh, you know, we see it across the board and whether it's the, the big organizations or whether it's, you know, companies and how the, they approach their hiring process. Um, but part of it is has to do with education, right? Um, part of it has to do with uh, making sure that, um what we consider, you know, as a global term, kind of underrepresented communities have the opportunity to um, to know that that this industry exists for them. You know, so it's about that. It's not suddenly, you know, bringing somebody up through the the ranks really quickly because we need to, you know, show that that there is diversity, but making sure that that, that people are um, kind of, you know have the educational process and cultivated for lack of a better word in the process to, to, to rise up and be part of, uh, of, a, of the, of the industry as a whole, but especially at the, at the higher levels. So I think the desire is there. Um, and I think we are seeing change, uh, happening, but it's not going to happen overnight. And there needs to be a, it needs to be conscious though, right? There needs to be a conscious choice when you're, when you're hiring, when you're looking at resumes, to giving opportunities, which is actually part of, 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 of how, you know, some of our animators, we, we took the risk, uh, if you like, and didn't just go for, you know, the, the known companies. We, we at some point made a very conscious effort, um, to go and find the unknown artists, 
uh, and specifically black unknown artists who are either at the beginning of the career or somewhere in the middle but didn't haven't got the recognition yet that was really important as well for us yeah it you know <clears throat> it is about diversity and but even more so it's about inclusivity and equity it's it's about making sure that we're included <laughs> in not only the conversation but in the opportunities it's make sure that we have the equity that we are getting paid uh, what our white brothers are getting paid so that we can have um, the same quality of life so that we can take care of our households so that we can put food on our tables so that we can have childcare so that we can have generational wealth to be able to pass down from, from, one generation to the next. Um, yes, there there has been a shift, right? Um, and I I say that with a little uh, with a tinge of cynicism, which I think a little cynicism is healthy because it keeps us focused on what we've got to do. Uh, I say it with a, a tinge of cynicism because you know the pendulum. Um, often swings back in the other direction. Um, sometimes the movements, these movements can feel like they're in fad. And we have to, our, our allies, our white brothers and sisters have to make sure that it is not just a phase in their life that it's actual change they're making for themselves personally. Because um, these issues that we talk about that pertain to race. Uh, black people, we don't have the the privilege to check out <laughs> of the movement. We don't have the privilege, regardless of whether we choose to march in the streets or not. We still step out into the world with our skin being the first thing that people see, and perceptions are made based off of that sight our white allies, our white brothers and sisters, they can choose to check out at any moment when they're just tired, when they've had enough, when they put as many hashtag Black Lives Matter lawn signs on, on, on in front of their homes, when they've marched their 10th protest, you know, or, or donated their last dollar to the next Black charity, they could say, well, I've done my part. And so uh, how do we make sure that our allies continue to stand beside us until we fully reach the place that we need to, to get to? So, you know, I'm hopeful. I remain hopeful. Um, there, there is something beautiful that happened this year out of the tragedies and, and and more, it was very different this year than any other time that I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm sure my parents could say the same in theirs when we saw the protests this this summer. The 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 uh, marches were extremely diverse. When I think of what was going on in Portland, most of those marches were white <laughs> marching for Black Lives Matter, and I can't say that I've ever seen that in my life. So there, there's, there's the hope. There's, 
there's the hope that people are truly listening and and wanting to make change um and and hopefully it is getting us a step further to living out the the true uh the true the true goals of this nation of of all men being equal so uh yeah that there is some hope and there is some change. It is slightly different than it has been in the past. I find this this such a, an inspiring story, not just the project itself, which gets at so much. And the production, too, is just such an amazing, amazing tale. And the fact that this even exists is both sad and also very, very cathartic and um uh, emotional and powerful, and I, I'm. I, I want to say, Arnon, I think it's it's amazing that you, um, as a white man working in the industry, you had the tools to be able to help, and you stepped up and did something. And I think that if more people did that, we would be so much further ahead than we are. So um, I, I think it's such a this is such a beautiful, beautiful story. And I'm I'm curious what the two of you. Um, now that the film is, you know, making its way out to to the public, and more people will have the the opportunity to see it, what 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 are your plans for for both of you for keeping sort of this momentum going, and what what sort of a, more stories do you want to tell? Can I just before we get into that, if you don't mind, uh, I I do want to. Um, I think it's important to give a really big shout out. Uh, so you talked about the production and how this happened. You know, this initially it was uh, Timothy and myself. Uh, one of the first things I did was I reached out to uh, a Canadian company uh, that I that I have worked with for many years, uh, Spin uh, VFX in Toronto, uh, and uh, the uh, one of the owners of the company, the, the executive producer there, Nisha uh, Nisha Ali. If it wasn't for her. And for the team that she brought together, they were really our hub, uh, uh, and and her editorial team and her creative team, um, and her producing team who helped us. At some point, you know, we realized this was going to be bigger than just the two of us, Timothy and myself. We needed help because uh, also we all have day jobs, so this was all done, you know, on the side. Uh, but they really, you know, talk about allies. They stepped up to uh, really. We could not have done it. Uh, without Nisha and without the efforts that that everybody, Bert Poole, who was our VFX supervisor and creative director, and Brandon Terry, who was our you know VFX editor, uh, and Carrie Richardson, who was our uh, VFX producer, but but they were we could not have done it without them. I mean, they were our, they were our hub, our producing team before anybody else uh, kind of came on board. So that was that was again talk about allies. She opened up her doors to us and said, "Whatever you need." And that, that doesn't happen every day, as we know. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but that was really important. <laughs> Spin VFX and that team, they they were lifesavers. <laughs> yeah. From beginning to the end. You know, a lot of a lot of companies and people came in, did their did their bit and it was amazing, but Spin were literally there till the last you know, roll of the credits. Uh, so so and, and- so what's 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 next for both of you? Um, well, I you know I know your question was how do we 
what are we doing to continue to keep the ball in the air and, and make sure that uh, for me it's the, I, I, I'm going to do what I keep doing which is continuing to write and tell the stories uh, that uh, highlight and showcase the uh, underrepresented <laughs> Uh, whether it's uh, Black people, LGBTQ stories. Um, and as, as a filmmaker, you know, not only to tell the stories, but when on set, when having my crew, when having my post team, making sure that it is as diverse and inclusive as I see the world. Um, giving work and opportunity, that equity I'm talking about, to to people who uh, do not always get it. Um, I'm. Uh, what am I working on specifically right now? <laughs> um, I I just I have to record a, a new poem for um, this beautiful uh, company here in New York City called uh, the, the Go Project. I believe that's the name. Forgive me if I'm, uh, forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, but uh, they uh, help educate the underserved communities in New York, and they've been doing it virtually uh, throughout this pandemic. Uh, and uh, I was asked to create a poem to help inspire and, and help them raise funds uh, for their school and their educational program so that they can continue to serve these kids. So uh, things like that are very, service is very important. Uh, that's, that's how we continue to lift each other up and when we lift each other up, we lift the world. So. Yeah, and for me, I, um, you know, I've always been uh, been creating content uh, of any any form, whether it's live action or or an, uh, you know animation or visual effects driven. Um, so I, I've you know continued to always uh, write and create, uh, whether it's a, a web series or or a or a feature or a. Um, an animated uh, TV show uh, um, that I've been developing. So there's a combination of stuff. But for me, actually, it's interesting because why why cops and rock? So the creative process is going to continue. You know, I think we're fortunate enough where, again, there's, there's opportunities kind of come up. And if you take them, and I think cops and robbers was a perfect example, if you feel passionate about something, you know, go out and chase it. You know, all I all I had to do was the spark of the idea and then reach out to Timothy and thankfully he responded. And that was the beginning of, of, of this process. Um, but it's about the humans to me, the human story is really significant. Everything that I'm actually drawn to uh, on a personal creative aspect, not necessarily the professional aspect, because we know that, you know, visual effects are, you know, we driven, I'd say a lot of times to more gratuitous type of, uh, <laughs> of work, um, but I'm, I'm driven towards a human story and that's what drove me to cops and robbers. I want to know what is the emotional factor of, 
of of the characters how do i uh how am i affected by them um and how can i see myself in their shoes and i think again this it goes down to cops and robbers even though i'm not a a black person i can i can emphasize empathize uh and i've had my own experience as i said so i i felt very strongly about it and, and the and the projects that i'm continuing to develop have that same i'd say sensibilities to them uh emotional human stories that's definitely something that i'm personally drawn to so hopefully uh you'll see more stuff <laughs> and that was my conversation with timothy wearhill and arnon manor their new short film cops and robbers is now streaming on netflix The Spark Podcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org. We'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks' time.